Hello again. This is Soul Searching here on Gay SA Radio, our time each week to explore spiritual matters that matter. I'm Tom Budge. Soul Searching is a penetrating examination of our motives, convictions, and attitudes. This program encourages introspection, contemplation, and a self critical examination of our beliefs, thoughts, desires, and conduct. Thank you for your valuable comments and your suggestions about program content. I always appreciate receiving them and will leave details at the end of the show so that you can contribute to what we achieve. In last week's show, we took a tongue-in-cheek look at some of the very literal ways in which people interpret the Bible. Philosophy and law say that it is your personal right to have any belief system and to act it out as if it were true given that the enactment does not impinge on the rights of others. However, last week's show ended without resolving a particular issue. Is there an absolute truth, one fundamental original intention embedded in holy scriptures like the Bible? If so, how do we find it, and how will we ever know whether it is true or not? There are so many conflicting, unprovable interpretations of holy texts, each competing for the greatest following, like corporations that strive to increase market share. Given all the kinds of beliefs, how do we test which one is factual and which are mistaken? Today we turn to the principles of quantum mechanics to get a different slant on the concept of truth. I was thumbing through one of my books the other day and stopped at chapter 12 in Ramtha's white book. Ramtha is supposed to be a 35,000-year-old Lemurian warrior, a disembodied being, channeled by a woman named Jay-Z Knight. I have a healthy skepticism about all spiritual proclamations like these. I suppose it is the scientist in me that likes to keep track of sanity and I'm concerned about many aspects of the Ramtha show. I deliberately call it a show because of its staging. Former rodeo queen and cable TV saleswoman transforms into a badly directed, Cossack-styled, foul-mouthed, anti-Semitic, homophobic, and drinking entity. It doesn't sit nicely in my gut, but sometimes I force myself to get over my prejudice before I am able to approach a subject without inherent bias. The title of chapter 12 is Nothing But Truth, and the lead into the chapter is one of Ramtha's own quotes. There is truth in everything, but there is also refinement in all things. For each moment refines truth. That is why God is not in a state of perfection, but rather in a state of becoming. Each entity continually progresses in his understanding to encompass more unlimited truth. And whatever his understanding is, moment to moment to moment, it will be the truth as he sees it, as he knows it. There is an element of relativity in this statement. Truth is relative to the observer, and the observer is in turn defined by his or her past experiences, thoughts and beliefs. These concepts form part of the ancient law of karma. Everything you thought, said or did in the past shaped who you are today. Whatever you choose to think, 
say or do from now onwards will sculpt who you shall become tomorrow. It is a liberating concept because it encourages you to take ownership and responsibility. Your choice profiles you both positively and negatively. Hence it follows in Ramtha's proposition that one's personal truth is never absolute. Well, not until you become enlightened, I suppose. But that you are always in a constant state of evolvement and that your truth must evolve along with you. As I read this, I remembered an experiment that changed the way scientists understood the world. Thomas Young devised his double-slit experiment in 1801. I'll tell you more about Young's experiment as we go along, but first, some background to physics. There are two major subfields of mechanics. One is classical mechanics, and the other is quantum mechanics. Classical mechanics is also known as Newtonian mechanics, named after Sir Isaac Newton, the physicist whose three laws describe the motion of bodies under the influence of a system of forces. His first law is the law of inertia. This law states that an object tends to keep doing what it is doing until an unbalancing force changes what it is doing. If, for example, you fire a bullet from a gun far, far away from any other object, out there somewhere in the emptiness of space, that bullet will travel in a straight line and at the same velocity forever, until another force begins to act upon it. The other force could be frictional, gravitational, or any other kind of force. Only then would the bullet deviate off its course and change its speed. Here's another example. It is because of this law that it is a good idea to wear your seatbelt while driving, because if your car, travelling along at 60 kilometres an hour, suddenly crashes into the back of a stationary vehicle, according to this law, you will continue doing what you're doing, namely travelling forward at 60 kilometres an hour, with obviously disastrous consequences. Newton's second law is the law of acceleration that describes what happens to an object when a force acts upon it. It defines the relationship between an object's mass and the force acting upon it. The greater the mass of the accelerating object, the greater the amount of force needed to accelerate it. Kick a heavy rock and you will go to hospital. But kick a soccer ball and you'll have some fun on the field. Newton's last law of motion is the law of action and reaction, which says that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. This means that for every force there is a reactionary force that is equal in size but opposite in direction. Go back to our example of firing a bullet from a gun. The bullet doesn't leave the muzzle of the gun without the gun kicking back in the opposite direction. While these laws accurately describe how forces interact with bodies at a macro level, with objects in our daily lives, like the planets in our solar system and galaxies in the universe, these laws fall apart when trying to describe what is happening at an atomic level, with subatomic elements like electrons and light. Max Planck and Albert Einstein proposed a quantum-based theory to explain what's happening at the micro level. 
Unlike Newtonian physics, which is hundreds of years old, quantum physics matured in the mid-1920s. Modern applications of quantum theory bring us many things we sometimes take for granted, like light-emitting diodes, these are the modern-day bright bulbs found in most torches, magnetic resonance imaging, MRIs, giving us amazing views into the functioning of the human body, and electron microscopy, allowing us exceptionally detailed views of microscopic things. Thomas Young's 1801 experiment tried to resolve scientific disputes about light. In the 17th and 18th centuries, scientists proposed various theories about the propagation of light. One theory believed that light was corpuscular in nature, meaning that light emitted from a luminous body streamed away in the form of tiny particles. Other scientists disagreed and said that light was wave-like in nature, like ripples in a pond that radiated outwards. Similar to all other scientific theories, these ones needed testing and scientists drew inferences from the physical and mathematical wave-like properties of sound to test out their ideas about light. Here are two simple experiments you can try out at home. The one is an experiment showing the properties of particles, and the other is a demonstration of the behavior of waves. You'll need a nice, flat, sturdy piece of plastic, like a large discarded polystyrene meat tray, and a few other bits and pieces which I'll tell you about in a moment. Cut a long, thin, rectangular window into your plastic sheet about a centimetre wide and about 20 or 30 centimetres long. Your first experiment gives you an understanding of some of the properties of waves. You'll need a body of water and a wave generator for this. These are easy to find because you can conduct this experiment in your bath or swimming pool and you can use your finger to generate waves. Wait for all the disturbances to settle down in the water, then gently dip your piece of plastic into it, keeping the slit vertical so that half of it is above the water level and the other half below it. Hold the piece of plastic very still so that you don't create spurious waves. Now tap your finger quite hard on the water at a reasonable distance behind the slit to generate a wave, and watch what happens as it approaches your piece of plastic. The part of the wave that touches the plastic will bounce back, but a small part of the wave will sneak through the gap. Carefully notice what happens to the part that found its way through the gap. See how it spreads out, forming a semicircle centered on the slit. The intensity of the wave on the other side of the slit is far less than the intensity of the wave that left your finger. Suppose that the side of your bath or pool was a very sensitive instrument that could register the approach of the wave formed on the other side of the slit. The wave will show up to the far left and right of the center line. The other half of this experiment doesn't require your plastic sheet at all. Simultaneously and repeatedly tap the water with your left and right index fingers and notice how the waves interact with each other. Parts of the colliding waves cancel each other out, while other parts amplify each other. These experiments show how waves propagate. 
Now let's conduct our second experiment to demonstrate the properties of particles. You'll need a device that emits a stream of particles for this experiment. A tin of aerosol paint will do nicely. Tack a thin piece of paper to the wall. Take your piece of plastic that has the slit and hold it up at a reasonable distance in front of the paper. Keep the slit vertical. With your spray can held at a reasonable distance behind your piece of plastic, discharge a burst of paint through the slit and onto the paper. Bear in mind that the particles leaving the nozzle don't take parallel paths towards the paper, but tend to disperse slightly outwards from the nozzle. This is a tiny technical error in our experiment, which you could correct by making a small tube-like guard that you could secure in front of the nozzle. This technical error caused a slight blurring of the paint stripe on the piece of paper, but otherwise it would have been a solid band of color with sharp left and right edges. This stripe is very different from the widely diffused pattern formed by the waves we measured in our first experiment. When we measure a wave traveling through a slit, we see it as a wide diffused pattern. But when particles go through a slit, we see them as a narrow stripe directly opposite the slit. Both of our experiments seem like classical mechanics, and they are. Drawn from the experiments that shaped our understanding of the macro world, like planets, solar systems and galaxies, scientists used similar experiments to understand the principles of the micro world, like electrons and light. Here's where things get interesting. Young's experiments weren't quite as simple as our home versions. Instead of one slit, he used two. He shone a laser beam through the slits to figure out whether light was a particle or a wave. If light was made up of particles, he expected it to show up as a stripe. If light was wave-like and shone through two slits, he expected to measure it as an interference pattern. That's what happened when you conducted the second half of your wave experiment. The waves generated by the two fingers interfered with each other, cancelling and amplifying different parts of the colliding waves. Amazingly, when Young conducted his experiments, trying to figure out the nature of light, he saw both results. Yep, light behaved as a stream of particles and as a wave. I'm sure the scientists scratched their heads and furrowed their brows for a long time while trying to solve this puzzle. They might have echoed Alice in Wonderland's words, curiouser and curiouser. We've been investigating classical and quantum physics to see if we can find a different angle on truth. There are so many interpretations of holy texts, like the Bible, and there are just as many sects and religions setting themselves up as the custodians of truth. When Young conducted his experiments, light behaved as a stream of particles and as a wave. But physicists are clever. They thought maybe those little balls are bouncing off each other and creating that pattern. So they decide to shoot electrons through one at a time. There is no way they could interfere with each other. But after an hour of this, the same interference pattern is seen to emerge. The conclusion is inescapable. The single electron leaves as a particle, becomes a wave of potentials, goes through both slits, 
and interferes with itself to hit the wall like a particle. But mathematically, it's even stranger. It goes through both slits and it goes through neither. And it goes through just one and it goes through just the other. All of these possibilities are in superposition with each other. Physicists were completely baffled by this. So they decided to peek and see which slit it actually goes through. They put a measuring device by one slit to see which one it went through and let it fly. <laughs> but the quantum world is far more mysterious than they could have imagined. When they observed, the electron went back to behaving like a little marble. It produced a pattern of two bands, not an interference pattern of many. The very act of measuring or observing which slit it went through meant it only went through one, not both. The electron decided to act differently, as though it was aware it was being watched. The observer collapsed the wave function simply by observing. The audio clip I just played you comes from the movie What the Bleep Do We Know? And we learned that something extraordinarily weird is taking part with quantum particles like light and electrons. They behave like a stream of particles when scientists try to measure them as particles. And they behave like waves when scientists try to measure them as waves. Quantum particles have simultaneous potential to be both particle and wave a phenomenon known as superposition. The moment an observer is present, the superposition collapses into only one reality, in the case of light, into a particle, or into a wave. Outside the presence of the observer, quantum particles are a field of possibilities. Light has the potential of being both particle and wave, but at the quantum level, it is neither wave nor particle. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's take a deep breath and go back to the beginning of this episode. Remember that I said it would be nice to know if there was a single absolute truth, only one intended interpretation of holy scriptures, like the Bible. But what if everything is true? Let me explain my rationale. It's highly likely that God isn't a being such as we are. It's an innate human tendency to anthropomorphize. Found in English writing as far back as the mid-15th century and combining two words, the Greek word anthropos, meaning human being or man, and morph, meaning to be transformed, an anthropomorphism is the attribution of human traits emotions and intentions to non-human entities. Therefore, describing God as the father, male and old, are all anthropomorphisms. Early writers elevated God to the highest position they knew, one of patriarch, and we've stuck with this idea ever since. If God is not an old man in heaven, then who or what is he? Can we refer to him as him, or should we not drop the gender and call him it? It 
is what it is. <laughs> I know that a couple of my friends will be smiling right now at this one. We have already discovered that light is the superposition or combination of two or more potential states, particles and waves, that need the presence of an observer to collapse it into a new physical state, being one of particle or wave. Superposition, however, is not limited to light and electrons. It also occurs at a far grander scale too. There was only a possibility of a universe before the Big Bang, a potential known as singularity. Quantum fluctuations then caused the gravitational singularity of infinite density to erupt, and its subsequent expansion continues to create our universe to this day. When an observer collapses light superposition into the physical reality of waves, the result is no less truthful than the truth of an observer collapsing it into the reality of it being a particle. The physical reality of light is truthfully both wave and particle. If God is the ultimate superposition of everything, then he is almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent, Timeless, spaceless, the Alpha and the Omega. He is then a field of infinite possibilities. Your presence, as an observer of free will, collapses God in whatever truth adds to your own individuality. Your desire, your unique progression into wisdom, and your very presence as an observer collapses the superposition of God into any truth you perceive God to be. Wow. Then there can be nothing untrue. Because each individual observer derives his or her personal reality of God from the superposition of God. God then becomes anything you choose him to be. Truth is only what an individual perceives to be truth, a perception filtered by self-limiting thoughts and beliefs. God is this collapsed reality, and that one. Yet he is also the superposition of all the infinite, undifferentiated possibilities. Do you get it? Every belief that is or ever has been is therefore true. You have been listening to Soul Searching here on Gay Essay Radio. I welcome your comments and suggestions. You may reach me by email on studio at gaysaradio.co.za and also via the station's social media platforms using the tag Gay SA Radio. This program broadcasts weekly on Sundays at 5pm and is repeated the following Sunday at 8am. A podcast of the show is available on the station's website gaysaradio.co.za. I'm Tom Budge. Until next time. Goodbye.